Welcome to A Matter of Music. I'm Don Wisner-Johnson. And I'm Beth Wisner-Johnson. And we're here to give you ideas, tools, and education about this crazy business of music. We have a very special guest with us today that you're going to enjoy. And Beth is going to tell you a little bit about Joe Sidoti. First, I'm going to ask you if you're watching this and you've watched some of our podcasts, please uh, subscribe and like if you can. It really helps us out. Go to our website, amatterofmusic.com, to find out what we're doing. We've got some classes coming up. Uh, we do these podcasts, and we're also doing some consulting and publishing admin. If you need that service, um, just let us know and uh, get in contact with us. We'd love to meet you. So this is Joe Sedoti, and we just went through, like, when did we meet you, Joe? <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, Joe is quite a bit younger than us, as, as you know, because oh. he was 14 when we met him, when Don met him. I met him later. So let me just go through kind of a little brief history, and then we'll actually start talking to him. Okay, so over 20, 27 years of experience in studio and live production and ABL system design. He has an expert knowledge of audio, video, lighting systems, uh, system tuning, which is incredibly important, and audio engineering. He is an Apple expert and thorough knowledge of working and networking in IT, which means that I'll be calling you or texting <laughs> you from time to time. Um, he does some video editing and graphic design as well. He is a, a very experienced in concert and uh, theatrical lighting, as well as the audio. He's kind of a jack of all trades if you haven't figured that out yet. Um, and uh, he has done a lot of AVL system installations. He's very well-rounded in knowledge and experience in the arts and that sets him apart from others in the industry because he definitely, you know, from the live to the studio installations to the installations in churches, he really has a depth of knowledge not just of like this equipment or that equipment but also like how sound works that's so important and a lot of people don't understand that joe i was looking at your resume and i was thinking back to when i was going to grove school of music and you know learning how sound worked and our mm -hmm. our uh, physics class the guy would come in and he had always been smoking and he'd come in and he would hang his bag little <laughs> man purse from the ceiling and he would swing it and he would stare at it and that's all he ever did. That's a, that's a wave. And we're like, got it, move along. You know, we didn't right. learn all of that stuff that, that we missed out on. We were pretty ticked off as students. It's really important to understand how that works. And Joe really gets that. So he has worked. I think, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say there's something to uh, getting your experience through doing and not always learning through. Um, and um, right. I kind of came up that way in the business as well, but you'll hear more about that with Joe. Because Joe has learned in so many different settings. Right. That's one of the things that's, that's awesome about him. So, Joe, you've worked as a technical director for large churches. You've traveled with artists. You've done front of house, which scares the ever-loving crap out of me. I don't know how people do that. You do <laughs> freelance, audio engineering, technical consulting. What is your favorite type of work? Let's just oh. start there. What's your favorite with all of the stuff you've done over 27 years, where what's your favorite thing to do? Can I just say that it sounds like he has 50 years of experience, not 27. I know. Well, he started, remember, 14. So I know. Yeah. Okay. Never too young to start. What's your favorite thing? For sure, it's recording and mixing music, um, you know, in the studio. That's that's my first love. It's, it's my main love. I've done a lot of the other stuff because it paid the bills, and that's what you do, and at least it was in – you know the same field um but 
yeah, for sure. My passion is, is the, the creative process of making music. Hmm. Nice. Are you, you play music as well? Are you a musician? I am a musician. Yes. I, uh, I'd say mostly I'm primarily a drummer. Um, but I know enough guitar and bass to lay down a decent rock song or put a demo together, you know, so I've written songs in the past, uh, for myself, not for anyone else and kind of got some, some of that off my chest and, you know, if I need to do something, I do something, but, um, I'm mostly a drummer, a little bit of guitar. Nice. Nice. I, I know, I know. I see them back there. I know that that helps, um, to have a very musical ear as an engineer, a recording engineer, but I, I wouldn't want to tell someone that if you don't, that you can't do that, but. I would say that, but that's just my would, experience. Yeah. I'm, not a I'm not a recording engineer, even though I went to school for it, because I'm not a musician and I just don't have that ear. I wanted right. to do it. I loved equipment. The first time I was in the studio with my sister when I was 15 and they ripped the board apart because something broke and I was like, ah, you know, I just wanted to get in there. I like the technical aspect of it, but I'm, I don't have that ear. Having that musical background definitely helps. Doesn't mean you can't, but if you're a really good recording engineer, you probably can play an instrument if you never have before. <laughs> you know, and a lot of that comes from, you know, when you start getting to more of a producer role or sometimes you're an engineer and you got paid to be an engineer, but you realize that the band needs a lot of ideas. <laughs> and as soon as you realize that they're open to hearing those ideas, you kind of just put on your producer hat and you have to be able to explain what you're thinking. And you have to be able to bridge the gap to someone who's maybe, you know, not technical at all. And they're only just creative. And then mm -hmm. the other spectrum is just super technical. And so you have to figure out how to bridge the gap and how to, how to explain with words, what it is that you're wanting and sometimes it's better just to say well here let me show you right and so if you can do it and play it or you know talk about the musical nomenclature that they're familiar with listening you know hearing then i think that that really helps kind of pave the way for some more cool creative stuff i like i like the idea of that it's like a language barrier if you don't have that musical language from that aspect of being a musician right and yeah. let, me, let me say on that note, we're going to tell you more about this and talk more about it, but Joe does have a YouTube channel, and Joe, Beth and I have both tuned in some, and I know others that have, that have told me, and uh, you've been going a little while, not too long, but yeah. you, in terms of what you just said, your YouTube channels are that way. You're very good at explaining and and pointing out things and stuff so if you um i'm going to say this now in case you tune out later we're gonna this will be in the description you can go subscribe and even um hit that bell as you said in one of yours we need to tell people to do that so it'll tell you whenever joe puts something up but i want to want to tell you that it, he's got a lot of great information on that channel already and he's only just begun so and you can um, get in touch with him he's got a website sidotisound.com S-I-D-O-T-I sound.com. Yeah. Can you read that? There. Right there. Oh, well, there there it is. Okay. Yeah. Good. Marketing. He knows marketing. 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 Well, you know what? My wife said I need a haircut and I'm like, I don't have time. So I'll <laughs> <laughs> I had my, well, I had my son cut my hair. I got sick of it. and just was like, here, go. And he's like, and I cut my own. Because we don't yeah, usually say what's happening right now, but we all can't go. The thing, the thing we're not allowed to say on YouTube. Places, yes. Okay. It look, your head oh, looks don't good. Say it. <laughs> don't say it. 
So I want to start, I want you to start a little bit at the beginning, Joe, and just tell, like, you mentioned um, 14 years old. I was on a stage at a church <laughs> doing a, in a worship band, and, and you and I kind of met there. And then we met through a friend, Joe Marciano. I will mention him because he... Um, he gets pissy met, when we don't. Give he, <laughs> he's connected a lot of people that him and I know. But yeah. um, he had a studio, and we were recording there. But can you start at the beginning, even before that? Like, what... What sparked the interest for you in music and, and just kind of tell us how that began? Yeah, uh, the spark was quite simply, um, I had nothing to do as a kid and my mom wouldn't let me do anything unless it was at church. So we said, all right, I'll go to church. And, and there was youth group and I wasn't old enough for like the high school group, but I wanted to go and hang out. And so uh, matter of fact, Josh and Eli Thompson, uh, uh, which my I goodness, think you know. yes. Um, yes. Sweet comfort, oh, yeah. man. We were, my mom and their mom, yeah, yeah we're, we're really good friends. And so we hung out with the Thompsons a lot. Well, uh -huh. because their dad was in a band, they kind of knew a little bit about sound. And so we, they, someone needed, you know, some help at the soundboard for church youth group. And so they just pointed me to the little soundboard in a closet and said, here, turn this knob. And if the red light comes on, just turn it back a little bit. <laughs> So I said, okay, First I can do advice, that. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sort of. I mean, if it's clipping, turn it down. And um, that, that, I mean, that was it. I was sold this whole technical thing of being able to, to reinforce music. And then I was listening to a lot of music. I remember, you know, just having old cassettes from, I mean, from literally Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant to, um, the prayer chain and mortal and it kind of varied all over the place. Um, but I, I really just got my start because I had nowhere else to be and I could set up the sound system and mic up the drums at church. And so I actually got my start doing that. At the same time, I was learning how to play drums. And so I had bought some cheap little drum set from a friend that was just pieced together and I started to learn how to play and ultimately would show up to church, mic up everything, and then play drums as well. And I was awful. I mean, it was brutal. <laughs> it was really bad. And, and so there, there came a time, there was a summer camp or a winter camp or something where I was going to play drums. But all I had was that junk thing. And uh, there was a drummer at the church I went to, Frankie Sanchez, and mm -hmm. he let me use his drums uh, reluctantly because I'd always ding them up and he'd hate it. <laughs> and um, so word got out that I needed to borrow a drum set because I didn't really have one that was worth taking up to camp. And so that's where Joe Marciano comes in is he got wind that, that no one was stepping up and letting me borrow their drum set. So he had a drum set at his house when he was in Grand Terrace and he he found me somehow and said come to my house here's my address he didn't even know me and he said i'll let you borrow a drum set yeah. so my mom drove me to his house and <laughs> i picked up the drum set and brought it back when i was done and and when i was bringing back the drum set he was in his home studio recording and it was it was for the saturday night live which was the saturday night service at the church the packing house and um, 
I saw like microphones and tape machine reel to reel. And I was just like, what is this? Hmm. He was like, oh, we're recording an, uh, an album. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like it never occurred to me like, oh yeah, you actually have to record the music. You know, I just was listening to it. I wasn't thinking about how, how it got on tape. And uh, so I just hung around and then that turned into, hey, you want to come back next week? I've got a, you know, some hardcore band that's going to be coming in. I'll show you how to mic up the drums. And I kind of knew a little bit, but that was it. That was my job for a while. I, I wound up mic cables and set up mics and, and, yeah. and Joe just started teaching me the absolute basics of signal flow and gain structure and how to get the signal from here to there to the tape and all that you know the stuff that people think is boring but it's really the fundamentals of if you can't get that that basic structure down you're always going to be scratching your head going how come it doesn't sound good you know right right you can have a great drum sound in a in a room and if you can't translate that to tape and i've been in sessions like that yeah with my husband with somebody else and i was just like about to pull my hair out yeah it's an art it's also like a drug it sounds like that's how i felt the first time i went in the studio oh. Yeah, <laughs> forever. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly not rocket science. There is some technical there's stuff. A, there's uh, an art to it, though. Yeah, I think it's I think it's ninety eight percent art and two percent, you know, math. There's yeah. some physics involved that you can't change, but but half the time on my YouTube channel, I I talk about things like it, it doesn't matter which tool you're using. It matters that you know how to use the tool that you have. Right, and so. You know, I talk a lot about that. And, um, right. One of, yeah, we have some questions about some of those things. But one of the things is, even with us, with what we work with in music, there's so many new platforms and places for licensing and all of these things in the music business. But I know, I know in the recording business, it's the same way. So that part of it can get overwhelming for a new uh, person who's starting out or they just want to record their vocals and collab with people and those kind of things. So we'll ask you some questions about that later. But I think, mm -hmm. don't you agree in the world we're in, maybe technically it might be getting a little bit more difficult to maneuver? Or do you think it's better because there's more? Um, well, I guess in, in, a, in a way, it's both. It's better and it's worse. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's better in the sense that it's easier to record yourself and you know a, a laptop and some free software or whatever and, and you can do what you used to have to at least buy like a four track cassette player or something you know to be able to record yourself and overdub so in 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 that way it's better but what's happened is the way that it's worse is there's no one teaching you know you there's no internships anymore there's no you know like that's how that's how the pro engineers got started is they ran and got coffee and they they want they vacuumed the studio floor and they learn on the job and they cleaned and off so, disgusting toilets right yeah, <laughs> white, white stuff off of the console oh whatever that white oh, stuff i was. did repeatedly <laughs> so on those nice christian albums it wasn't a christian yes, oh yeah oh, session yeah. player but yeah it was like well if people knew what was on this record okay <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, in that sense that those days are really dwindling down and the new 
inter internship is videos online, you know, and right. and YouTube is a big part of that. Um, Which is good, so, but you can't get the feedback. It, it, there's right. something about being in a studio, big or small, professional or even at home, with somebody who's been doing it for years and knows what they're doing, who says, go set this mic up on the drums. And you go set it up and you plug it in and you get your things going and then they go, okay. And then they walk over and they adjust it. Mm -hmm. adjust the mic they adjust right. the preamp they do all that stuff there's nothing quite like being able to be in the room and hear the sound as it's happening and watching that is right. definitely i think i think in churches that is still happening in a way because mm -hmm. that is a forum where you know they're doing live stuff and people kids coming up so that might be one place but joe do you also do consulting uh -huh. speaking of that yeah, yeah you do okay so yeah. if people watch your videos then they still have more questions they can always contact you for that right yeah but yeah, yeah consulting all, all that sort of stuff um if it, heck if it's just a quick question you know i'm happy to field questions on the comment sections or or right. drop me an email or whatever right you know. great but yeah that's, that's good nice nice to hear okay so uh, so now now you're in the studio you're learning now you have your background as far as what you've done you've got rock metal punk gospel singer songwriter indie rock pretty much across the board I've even done some rap that I'm not proud, not me, I haven't rapped, but yeah. Rap you're not proud of? I don't rap, but I've mixed rap that I'm not proud of. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, did you yeah. ever use a pseudonym? I'm curious. Me? No. Oh, okay. My husband did. Oh. Yeah. Why, Beth? Uh, you don't want your name attached to something that you're not proud of. Exactly. And he was like, what am I going to do? What, this was the early 90s. He and I were engaged, I think. And he was like, you know, I was working at the studio where he was working a lot. And these bands were coming in. And, so, and a couple of them, he was like, I don't even understand this. It was screamo stuff. And he was like, this isn't, this can't be Christian. And I'm like, dude, calm yourself, you know. But he was like, he just didn't, certain things he just didn't want his name on. So we came up with a, uh, I'm going to give it away. We came up with a pseudonym for him. And we decided Winans was a good name because there's so many of them. Mm. <laughs> and then we couldn't figure out what, so, so he's Corky Winans. Wow. So if you go look, you'll see a couple records out there with Corky Winans on it. <laughs> That's Sadly, you know, I, I did a horrible job of, of archiving that stuff and some websites out there disc dogs and other you know they'll have little blurps of stuff that i've done but it's so sporadic and it's yeah. definitely not complete and i'm kicking myself now going back trying to find i mean some i remember yeah well that's <laughs> for sure some labels have re-released stuff and it's on spotify or itunes and so i've been able to find it and like i'm building a playlist of stuff i've engineered oh that's good I, but it's i wish that i would have done a better job of, of just writing that down somewhere or yeah. Beth, uh dave had a very good system and kept everything well he did uh, he started that was in the 90s he did stuff at motown and before i knew him i don't know half of the stuff he did oh okay you know he worked on debarge records and th there's a lot of stuff he did at motown i never you know the later stuff he had we the have later stuff in the 90s um he was one of the first people to go out and get one of those little uh mini you know dv uh cam sony cam things dave and i could always talk ourselves into buying something that we couldn't afford because we would use it for something <laughs> and we wanted a dv we, want, we wanted one of those little cameras and he was like i could do my my call my recall with that 
instead of writing every, because recall for, for people that are not as old as us, recall is when you have to write down on a piece of paper, every knob where it is at the end of your mix. In case they want to change, you have to go back and recall that mix. It's a pain in the butt. It can take a couple hours. They usually have a second engineer do it or, you know, the guy getting coffee or whatever. But Dave decided he would just get a camera and just videotape the whole, all the settings. So take a digital snapshot. Take a digital snapshot <laughs> of it. So yeah, we've got, yeah. and he would go through his, you know, his uh, 224 and hit all the buttons and yeah. So yeah, anyways. Uh -huh. Unless you were blessed to have a Neve or an SSL with automation, you know, that's what you did. You took pictures and, you know, yeah. yeah. And I, I got a chance to work on some large consoles at some different studios in San Diego in the mid nineties. Um, but for the most part, it's always just been, you know, kind of down and dirty stuff and do what it takes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so what, as far as bands that you mixed, um, Beth's got down here, you mentioned metal, uh, metal, maybe you did in Joe's I, studio. Was that Death Star by any chance? Oh gosh, I've probably recorded them a bunch. Death Star, um, um, Sleeping Giant. Giant, Sleeping Giant, um, I don't think, I've even recorded P.O.D., shoot, oh. um, <laughs> not at Joe's, but uh, in San Diego. Right. Um, but they weren't. I can't remember. I can't remember. Okay. There's too many. There was a lot of just small. Um, if he could, you know, it would be on his list. Right. Yes. Yeah. I don't have my list. Um, a lot of a lot of punk rock stuff. See, I, I ended up after I was kind of interning with with Joe Marciano for uh, at least a year. And then he would bring me in and, and, and sometimes he'd even pay me, which was pretty great. Um, but I was working kind of full time at, by that point at Guitar Center, just in the, I think it was either the drum or the pro audio department. And it was uh, Mark Rodriguez, who was an engineer uh, that I aspired to be like. Um, he was coming in, he had just taken a job with Sony to do mad scientist work. And he told me, hey, there's this studio in Riverside that um, is looking for an engineer. It's called Moonsong Studio. And the owner's name is Bob Moon. You should give him a call. So he gave me his number. So I gave him a call. And he said, hey, come on down. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to meet you. So I go down to Moonsong Studio in Riverside. And he's, they're doing some bass overdubs or something. They're tracking bass. And he looks up to me and he says, hey, I got to go pick up my daughters from school. Can you handle this while, while I leave? And he I mean, it's always yes, even if you're course. lying. Oh, you lie through your teeth. <laughs> One of the if things I was never good that, at. Can that, you do you, that? I would like run and hide under the couch. No. Yeah, you have to lie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I mean, I had, I had been, you know, training with Joe on tape and this was, he had ADATs. Bob Moon had ADATs. And so it was digital, you know, and I'm like, oh, oh I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know. I'm going to mess it up. And so I said, oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. And he had this little remote that you would press record and punch in on. And I'm used to the art of punching in on tape. Yeah. Which, if you know now, punching in on digital is stupid not easy. This, yeah, it's not the same. And so you're, I was you're overthinking it. 
it over, it, I mean, it crosses over when you punch in. And so you kind of can't have a bad punch. I mean, if you get it anywhere in between a note, you're fine. It's but clean. But you didn't know that. I didn't know that. So I'm doing it. I'm punching in and I'm like, okay, I didn't mess anything up. And then I came to realize uh, I was, you know, afraid for no reason. And Did you get at the end and go like, man, I am really good at that. Really I'm, I was just glad I didn't mess something up. I was going to yeah. say, it's not lying. It's... That is. <laughs> no. <laughs> can you? He didn't say, have you? He said, can you? And I said, right. oh, my, my, teacher, my teacher told me, when you walk into a recording studio, if there's a piece of equipment you've never seen before in your life, and they say, do you know how to work this? You say yes. <laughs> and I said, I'm never, I'm never going to be good at this job. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Jerry Gordy once asked me to line the machine, the tape oh, machine, God. when the Lost Dogs were in the studio. And I was like, I hadn't touched a piece of equipment because I knew I wasn't going to be a recording engineer. So I'm in the studio just, you know, working towards the, the other business side of it. But I'm still in the mm -hmm. studio. He didn't know that. He know, knew I went to school. And he goes, can you align the machine? I'm like, no. And I left. And I didn't go back in the control room. It was the Lost Dogs with Terry Taylor and Mike Rowe. And I'm like, man, I missed out. But I was scared. I was like, no, leave me alone. Yeah, you know, the same. You gotta be brave. Take it till you make it, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. brave. I was gonna say, as a musician and singer, you know, I have done that lots of times. And I don't look at it as lying, I guess. It's like, can you do this? Can you sing this style? Yes. <laughs> Even though I'm like, Maybe that's what I'm missing. There's this arrogance that's that's deep inside of, in, in what's the word, where you're you're just terrified constantly that people are judging you and stuff but somewhere in the artist part there's this arrogance about it that comes up the performance thing whatever it is that gets you on is, stage there's that it, but i think what you said is it's brave too because you've right spent your life. It's, the, it's the i don't know what i'm doing but i can do this thing. right yeah right. yeah you have anyway. to anyway i'm I sure joe that was you what still do happened, that <laughs> what happened when he came back and the, obviously you were hired right Yes. It's, okay. My screen just said internet was unstable. Hopefully it's not. Hopefully it works Oh, fine. no, I see. We hear you. You're good. I live okay. in the boonies, in the woods. Okay. Yes. So he came back and he said, okay, I'd like to hire you and I can pay you uh, $10 an hour. And here I had just turned 18. So it was my first like true paid studio job. I was making, as far as I was concerned, a hundred bucks a day. Wow. And I was, I was recording and it was, you know, technically while it wasn't fancy it was a commercial recording studio in a commercial space and uh with a green room and a kitchen and uh two different iso rooms the main tracking room and a control room so i mean i was like i was in heaven you know and, and you were 18. Uh, yeah and he had the console that we had was a soundcraft that was from neverland studios oh, okay. which my, one of my favorite all-time records was the neverland sessions um, by the prayer chain and and so this console uh, the choir had recorded on um, and I was a huge fan of the choir at least the the sonic like I can't remember what's the album with a uh, simple song and um, oh, it's I a, oh, I know. a sentimental song sentimental sorry that's what song. it's called Beth, yeah. you know you know oh this I used to be able to tell you off the top of my head but no that's a great song uh, but it, anyways, this, I, I knew right away that, um, that that was a great sounding record, you know, and so I was pretty stoked that that was the console that Bob Moon had purchased. And, and so there I was 
on a big analog console with more mics now than than Papa Joe had, more tracks than Papa Joe had, um, and dealing with you know ADATs that you had to clean all the time because they were always breaking and and so I get to tell some of those war stories, you know, which is which is I think the whole point of why we go through these you know these trials and this journey is so we can look back and go, yeah, I I did that, you know, and uh, oh yeah, remember that time when you had to eject the tape and it got eaten and you had to try and you know you had to retrack all night long you know yeah i do i've done that you know yeah wow i, I yeah i didn't even think about that with adats man with the with the two inch at least it's never got really eaten no <laughs> no with adats because if you don't know you know for those watching listening uh you know it was vhs tapes and eight tracks per machine and you know, you could have three, four, five machines. I think maybe four was the max. I can't remember, but they would synchronize. So it took like 15 seconds for them to all sync up. So you had to rewind way past where you wanted. Yeah. So you learned all the tricks that when you were overdubbing, you just did like a, a stereo mix, you know, to two tracks so that you could turn off all the other machines and just have one tape in, <laughs> which was the mix and then the tracks that you wanted to record vocals to. So you weren't waiting for syncing and, you know, mm, wow. you learned all these, all these, you know, tricks because you didn't have a computer and you couldn't punch in. Right. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Where, so how long did you work there? And then you went into live sound, didn't you? Yeah. So, I, I was there for a few years. Um, I recorded bands like the Supertones and um, Dogwood, um, mm -hmm. gosh, um, Alien Ant Farm. Um, yeah, uh, they were from Riverside. That whole, yeah. Is that whole Riverside, Orange County? The thing is that people couldn't afford necessarily a better studio than Moonsong. Mm. And so because I think it was like, at the time, which was a good a good price, it was like three fifty a day, you know, to lock out the studio. So people were people were hap happy to pay that, you know. And so, uh, record labels. So at the time, like Tooth and Nail would send uh, all their Southern California bands there, um, mm. and then uh, Rescue Records uh, out of San Diego, which is where Pod and and No Innocent Victim, a um, couple other bands, they they would sometimes record there as well. And so you kind of got this whole just family yeah. of bands that recorded a wide variety of, of different types of artists and then remember that uh uh it was a there was a tv show that was like on some christian channel and it was like skateboarding and snowboarding but to rock band music huh. i missed that and then sometimes it was called g g rock yeah it was called g rock huh. and so there was a there was a tv show called g rock that guy, his the guy that started that, his name was Kendall Nadu, and then he started a record label called Screaming Giant or Sleeping Giant. I can't remember. Hmm. And and so then he sent all his bands, and so there was a there was just a lot of that going on where it was just recording, and I got to I got to meet a bunch of people that were that I looked up to, and and then I got to make new friends. So I had made a pretty good relationship with the band Dogwood and then another band called Rod Laver. Well, I ended up becoming Rod Laver's drummer. And um, they, they came into the studio, and this happened more than once. Um, 
a band would come in and the drummer just wasn't cutting it. And, and I felt bad for the band and they just wanted to record like one song. They were trying to maybe book some shows and they needed to have a, a little demo that they could send out. Cause that's what we used to do. <laughs> Mail tapes to clubs. <laughs> and um, so I felt bad. So their drummer left and we, I decided to bring in a drum set. We mic'd it up and I, I learned the song real quick and I tracked drums for them so that they could have a decent, you know, demo to, to walk away with for their 350 bucks that they were paying. <laughs> and uh, they were in LA, they were a, a, like Glendale band. And so I pretty much started playing drums for them. And then I did some touring. Um, that's actually how I met my wife is on tour huh. with Rod Laver in Texas. And then in between some of those tours, I decided to move to San Diego, where then I was roommates with a couple of the Dogwood guys who I had recorded at Moonsong. And then their drummer left and they wanted to make a new album and do a summer tour. So I played drums for them and recorded the album. And that was all two inch tape. Uh, I convinced them not to do digital. I convinced them, no, we, we got to do it on two inch tape. It'll sound better. <laughs> um, and I knew that they were good enough, you know, to lay down a solid track on two inch and, and not need, you know, a bunch of editing, which you couldn't do. So, yeah. um, so I did that and touring with Dogwood and Rod Laver was all of the festivals like the Cornerstone and, uh, East Coast, West Coast, what do they call those, uh, the big ones? Oh, um, Spirit. Spirit West Coast, Spirit, Spirit. East Coast. Right. Yeah. Did you do in Kentucky, uh, what's the one in Kentucky, Beth? Yeah, I know. I know. You did some of the ones Kentucky. back east too? Okay, yeah. Yeah. How about creation and... Yes, creation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Florida. so I've, I've, I had recorded a bunch of bands who had shows at these you know um festivals mm. and so they would be like hey will you run sound for us for our set we're you know in such and such tent tomorrow night yeah. sure i mean i was using an analog desk at that time i was still helping out uh, at church and i was even had gone to another church called oasis christian fellowship and they let me run sound for their sunday night thing where it was just loud rock and roll. So I felt confident that I could do the live thing. Um, and that's where it kind of turned into more of an emphasis on that for, for a while was um, people were willing to pay someone so that they would sound good live. And so I was able to get a lot of work that way. Um, and that's, that's kind of how it transitioned from studio only to live. I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. And then you started working for some even bigger churches and I know they pay well. <laughs> so, right? Some so do, yes. Some yes. don't. Some do. <laughs> um, yeah. The church thing uh, was, was, it was a good fit for me in the, in the part of my life where I was, which uh, by this point I had started having children mm -hmm. and I was touring as a front of house engineer um, all over the world uh, with some decent artists um, and I was really enjoying myself and I was getting good work. Um, I, you know, I got a chance to, to go places that I never thought I would 
but I was missing things with my kids. Mm. And I saw the dudes that were like, had been on the road for 30 years and I did not want to be like them. <laughs> they were bitter at life. And, you know, and I just was like, you know, we know a couple of those. Yeah. We yeah. Love you. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard, I mean, I understand. I mean, that's a, it's nice that you were able to make that decision. I mean, sometimes it's something sometimes they it's well, sometimes those guys aspire to that their entire life. It's all they know. It's what they really enjoy. And, and I always have had a, a soft spot in my heart for them. I toured as well. So I understand it. Uh, you know, we would get on the road and I was just like a kid in a candy store. I mean, it was like, let's go. And um, we interviewed my son and he was talking about that. You get, I get in <laughs> on the road and I'm just like, let's go, let's go. But, but it's different once the children arrive. It is. And even for me, that happened, Joe. I mean, I yeah. left the band I was in um, because they wanted to keep touring and going. And Beth even took my place for a couple, a lot, of, uh, at Nobody least knew. one tour. Nobody knew. Beth got behind the keyboards and sang there my part. There are people out there with autographs that think they got Don Wisner Johnson's autograph and they did not. Nice. Sorry. Yeah. I know, but but I had just had my daughter. It. Yeah, I had just had my daughter and I thought going into it, I toured all the way through being pregnant. I was I had her in January. We we toured until November, I think. And then I was like, "Oh yeah, I'll go back." And then once she was here, it was like, "What?" How, how old were your kids when you pretty much stopped doing that and transitioned? How long? In um, let's see. My f I have four kids now, uh, and they, they range from my oldest is 18 now, and my youngest is five or six, five, I yeah. think. Five. Wow. She's in kindergarten. So they're all officially, one's out of school, and the other three are in school. <laughs> but I'd say my firstborn was probably five, and then my second, uh, which was my first daughter, she was probably about two. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I just said, I don't want to miss the, I was getting, you know, little videos sent to me of first steps, things like that. And I was like, I don't want to miss that stuff. I want to be around. So I called again, my confidant, Joe Marciano, and I said, what do you think I should do? And of course he was proud of me. He, he gave me advice to even go, go for it and go on the road. Cause, uh, I had to, I had to leave some jobs that I wasn't liking. He's like, what are you waiting for? Go do it. You know? Mm -hmm. So I said, well, what do you think I, you know, I ought to do? And he's like, you know, you should definitely work for a church. Um, as far as, you know, doing front of house, I think it could be a cool gig and, and you'd be at home. So I, I did that for a while mm -hmm. and, and I think it, I think it was good. It was a good experience. Um, you know, I learned that, uh, I'm probably better off just being an attendee than a staff member, you know? I understand um, where you're going with that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to so, see behind the curtain. Well, you know, yeah, I don't have anything bad to say, but, but it can be a little bit of a bubble when you're on a church staff and you're not, you're not fully aware of what the rest of the world is doing sometimes when you're constantly just focused on what you're doing in the building for this weekend. And, you know, so yeah, yeah, I, I say get out there into the real world. And <laughs> so you got back in the real world and yes. Uh, so let's get to some of our questions, our technical questions then. 
Yeah. About, yeah. Okay. Don, Don's got one down here. That's a good one. Recording software and hardware, Pro Tools, Logic. When songwriters are collaborating, sending files back and forth for recording, mixing, um, to the best you can, explain how it works when something, someone is using a different recording software. Like if one person has Logic, one person has Pro Tools, how, right. what do you do in that situation? That is a very good question, Don. I actually have I have a I have a list of, of video topics that I that I you know want to do and for sure I have one that says how to deliver okay. you know, files to so someone listeners, else. Once again, please listen because I, we've experienced this just within yeah. the past few months. I mean, and it so I wanted I just wanna it's a big subject, isn't it? But if you can just explain well, it if it doesn't get done properly, the, the engineer on the other end or the musician on the other end has no clue where these files are supposed to go and line up to. And that's really, that's really the, the key is there has to be a zero. There has to be a wave file that you drag in that starts at, even if the guitar part that you did your solo doesn't come in till two minutes and 45 seconds, you need to if let's just say, Don, you're recording in Logic and you're going to send it to me and I'm mixing in Pro Tools, right. you're going to record all your parts and you might have little little snippets of audio right. files all over your timeline. Background vocals that are just right there. Right. right. Yeah. And then you did them again over here on this course and you did them over here on this course. What you have to do is you have to select that whole track and you have, it's going to be a different terminology depending on the software. But uh, for instance, Logic calls it bounce in place or Pro Tools calls it to commit. Other software, uh, it's just simply export track, at, export track as file. Uh, so it depends on the software you're using, but essentially what you wanna do is you want to commit and render out the entire length of the song, that specific track as its own separate file. Wow. So you have explained that better yeah. than anybody else I've ever talked to. <laughs> okay. Because when you, when you send it back there, it's going to want to know how to ingest it. And where is zero? Where, where is, where does it start? Right. right. Yeah. And so, so, so yeah. So if you select the track in logic and say bounce in place, it's going to bounce the whole track and wherever that two minutes and 45 seconds solo is, it's still there. But mm. now all my tracks from kick drum to, you know, background vocals, they're all going to be five minutes long and they're all going to be 60 megabytes each. And I'm going to drag them into Pro Tools. I'll create new tracks and I'll drag them all the way to zero. And I know that they're going to be lined up properly. Okay. Um, the reason I asked this question, we do have a lot of listeners and people I've met, uh, people that we're talking to in our Zooms and different things that are collabing now. And mm -hmm. even in, in the space that we're in, a lot of people aren't going into studios right now, but some of these are far apart and they're, they're doing things together. So that's one reason I wanted to address that. Even further beyond that, I know there's Pro Tools, there's Logic, but there's other things people use. Are there, mm -hmm. is there anything that people should try to aspire to have that works or best with Pro not Tools? or not use? Or not use, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Bottom level there. Well, and that kind of goes back to, you know, there's no more interns anymore and no one's really teaching, but I would have to say 
if you already have something on your computer and you're just getting started, just use that because I think it's more important to learn the art of recording and learning sure. and learn how to get your ideas down and to put a good arrangement together. And it doesn't really matter at that point what software to use. That's for a super beginner mm -hmm. who, you know, just needs to get some mileage under them and uh, of songwriting. Just needs to start but, gaining experience. Yeah. So if you've got a Mac and it has GarageBand, use GarageBand, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what comes free with a PC. I've been a Mac user for so long. Um, I know. I but, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what comes on PC. Um, but <laughs> if you've got something um, or there's a free, I know there's a lot of people that like it. It's called Reaper. Um, I've never used it, but I, I think it's free or, or it's like $15 or something like that if, if you want to unlock every feature. Uh, and it can do multi-track. So there's some oh, free options Reaper? out there. Reaper, R-E-A-P-E-R okay. is the name of the software. Yeah. Um, and it will work on PC or Mac. Uh -huh. um, I, it's either free or dirt cheap. Hmm. Um, but some people actually prefer it. You know, some people, I don't know, some people like right. blood sausage. Let me give another suggestion real quick as we're talking about software and recording and stuff. If you are a musician and you can get into a NAM show in your area, <laughs> good luck. Very, very cool place to go spend an entire day looking at all of these different things because there's people there who will walk you through stuff. You can try it out. It's mm -hmm. I know for a lot of the newer uh, musicians, when I would take them, they were always like, they would just spend hours there you know, looking at mm -hmm. things and you can always see the up and coming things. So I, I took my, my oldest son, he's 23 now, but I think he was 20 years old when I took him to his first NAMM show and he almost punched me in the head. Like, Why have you not brought me here before? <laughs> Cause it's not as easy to get in anymore. Well, that's You're true. You're going to need to find somebody who can get you a ticket. Basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, start working on that for 2022, I'm assuming is going to be the next NAMM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's one in Nashville and there's one in uh, LA. Uh -huh. And is there one in New York? I think it's think just so. those two. Uh, there's an AES in, in uh, AES. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's other Audio Engineering so. Societies. Right. So, um, so that, that, thank you, Joe. That, that helps. I mean, and most people I hear talk about Pro Tools and Logic. Are those the two kind of standards? Those, those are the two most, most widely used. Um, okay. Pro Tools is, you know, I, I think most people will, who use it professionally will tell you they have a love-hate relationship with it. Um, they love it because it's so easy to use and it's what all their, it's what everyone else is using, but they hate it because like, well, Logic has had this feature for the last five years. Why doesn't Pro Tools have that feature, you know? And then Avid will come out with that feature and make it seem like, like it's the first time this feature's ever, you know, <laughs> happened and we're like, Logic's done Look that what for we years. just invented. Uh, yeah, it's kind of the Apple thing, you know, but yeah. That is. Um, <laughs> I use Pro Tools. I've, I've used Pro Tools uh, the first time I did, other than ADATS, you know, any computer recording, I mean, it was Pro Tools way back in, gosh, this would have been 94, 95. I mean, it was like super early, early. on. Um, and so I've always used Pro Tools. Logic, um, has some pros and cons. I think Logic, I collaborate with an artist. Matter of fact, he just 
finished an album. His, his name is Dustin Burke, uh, Burke with an E at the end. And he just put out an album and each song he tracked in Logic, he lives in Sacramento, and he would send me the files and then I would mix them and then, and master them and then give them back. And so as far as, as far as file sharing, what we did, we simply just shared a Dropbox folder. Hmm. Um, and he would do the bounce in place and export all those files and then put them in Dropbox and I'd bring them into Pro Tools and I'd mix. Um, I don't remember any other major issues that came up. Logic because it was really good on the creative side. There's so many virtual instruments that come with Logic, um, you know, and so I, I, I tend to tell people, if you really are trying to create music, then logic is really good. You know, I mean, people like Billie Eilish, you know, her brother, engineer Phineas, he, he's using logic. And there's other software that they use as far as plugins, software synths and virtual instruments. But what comes free with logic is pretty phenomenal in the quality of sound and the, and the quantity of sounds from from pianos to drums to string instruments to synths you know moog basses and everything in between um wow. that's great pro, advice pro Thank tools you. yeah so it's like if you're if you know someone else is going to mix it and you want to just be as creative as possible for as little money as possible then spend the 300 bucks and, and get logic pro and and you get all that content for free of course, you have to have a big hard drive to download it all, but. Right. Um, I do have another question on Logic and Pro Tools. How, is it similar, the updates that they both have? Do they, up, I know Pro Tools updates and you have to, is it similar times? Yeah, Pro, Pro Tools, you kind of have to be a little bit more careful with updates because you have to make sure and wait that, that if like, don't, up, don't update your operating system, wait for Avid to say that it is compatible. Whereas at least with Logic, it's made by the people who made the OS, so it's guaranteed to, to work. Yeah. So you can always stay new if you're on the bleeding edge and you want to you wanna do that. Um, I tend to be about one operating system point or two points behind just so that I, you know, don't upgrade and then something break. But I'm on Catalina, you know, whatever the latest, and I'm on uh, Pro Tools subscription so i'm on version 2020 right. and yeah it all I, works great. I know that there are sometimes little nightmares that happen with those updates so that's why i asked yeah um, okay well that's good to know about logic too yeah thank you uh beth do you have another um, yeah uh suggestions for a lot of the people that that um watching our have been in our zoom and watching our podcasts are recording at home uh recording for for tv and film doing cues and things like that um, I don't know. There's probably a lot of them doing their own records and stuff too, but also a lot of people doing the lower, maybe, a, you know, the lower end a little bit um, stuff getting into it. So as they're, you know, kind of walking up the chain of, I'm just kind of beginning, do you have suggestions as far as what to start with at home as far as vocal mics and also affordable interfaces and preamps? Well, you know, if somebody's kind of on a budget and they're starting up that path, something yeah. that and then I have another question, which is basically, as far as also recording at home, what is your suggestion as far as isolation and, you know, how to, how to kind of get those vocals just 
to be really present. And Yeah. Well, I'm going to generalize it as far as interface and microphone and say it, it almost doesn't matter because it's better for you to get that idea recorded and to create that music again, because like my main passion is just creating music. Um, I think that a good singer can and or a good engineer can learn how to use a compressor and EQ and, and do corrections that might be needed based off of the mic. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it can vary from, you know, with a gun to my head, my, my wife hates it when I say that. Um, if all you had was a hundred bucks, then I, I'd buy a sure SM58 and just sing into it. If all you had was a hundred bucks. Um, you know, generally speaking though, a, a large diaphragm condenser mic is going to be, you know, a good choice for a vocal and probably some form of a pop filter, like a windscreen that you can yeah. get, but you can get $150, $200 large diaphragm condenser and a little pop filter just so that your P's and your T's, you know, don't, don't pop the mic. That way it's clean. Right. Um, interface. I mean, it used to be that you had to be very cautious what interface, you know, but I'd say over the last five to six years, the, the quality has gotten so good, even with the inexpensive ones, it's not like you're going to put something in and what's going to come out is a turd. It's, it's not, it's, it sounds good. Um, good enough anyways, if, if you know what I mean. And it's like, um, is there, is there one you, that you, that's like one of your favorites? I know, I know that for, um, uh, when my son was getting his studio, he, he was saying, I'm going to spend the most on my mic. Um, mm. Because his, his, he's writing for television and it has to sound, you know, but he thought in, in his mind, he, I think that was, and so I've heard some other people say that if you, and it makes sense with what you just said, because there's so many interfaces and different things that work now, but he, it was important to him to make sure his mic was good enough for what he was doing because he has to get things out to, you know, that's going to air somewhere. Well, also the microphone is the physical thing. It's the one yeah. thing still you've got to have that's got a diaphragm in it that's physical. Right. right. Where it's, it's got to be made part. decently. Yeah, yeah it's got to work. It's got to be made decently. The preamp, I, I agree with what you're saying. Digital, yeah. All the preamps and plugins and everything now that you have, you don't have to have, you know, you don't have to have all of that expensive tube gear. You buy a plug -in. I'm not uh, endorsed by this company at all, uh, but there is a company called Slate and uh, Slate Digital. And Stephen Slate uh, has made a name for himself and he's got, um, he's got all sorts of different software out there. He's also got some hardware, but um, a lot of the plugins that I use for mixing are Slate plugins and they're all emulations of analog gear they have come up with a microphone. They've got a two different mics. They've got an ML1 and an ML2, I think is what they're called. What it is, is they've got a large diaphragm condenser and then they've got a small little lipstick, small diaphragm. What they did was they made these two microphones to be as flat and linear as possible with no coloration so that when you plug it in, then you use their software to emulate a Neve mic pre oh, wow. through with a, with like a, a Neumann, you know, U47 hmm. or, you know, 
or a 251 or whatever, you know, so, and there, you, you can Google it and look it up. I mean, there's, there's Grammy engineers and studio owners, you know, all over the, the country who are a being their, their vintage, you know, FET U47 and then the, the slate mic with their emulation and they literally can't tell the difference. You Blind test is like blowing my mind. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm such I'm such a night girl from 1980s. I'm like, I still wish that we had two inch tape. I, I'm that girl. Yeah, but you know, it's different. Wow. I know that is. Well, I'm just thinking of the 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 yeah the process. Yeah, I mean, the U47, U87. You know, you're gonna and then and then the uh, the little small diaphragm condenser they've made it and then they've got, you can make it sound like a 57 or a Sennheiser 421 or a 414. Any so, idea of a round, round, a price for something like that? The, the big one I think is a thousand dollars for the whole system. That includes like a year of the software. Wow. And so you get every mic in the world that's a big, large condenser. You, Holy crud. You literally for a thousand dollars get a hundred thousand dollars worth of gear. It's crazy. And, and, um, I don't think what a can tip, Joe. What? I know I'm not, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Well, I'm going to be laying awake. Like, <laughs> what were you going to say, Joe? Sorry. Yeah. We cut you off. If I was going to buy one vocal mic that I had to say, this is going to be all I can ever buy. I'd probably buy that because the emulations are so good that it's quite literally the same as owning all those mics. That, you know? that is definitely an investment in your, if you're, if you're in music and you're planning on staying in music, that is an amazing investment. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But on the cheap end, um, I'd, I'd go with, um, an audio technica 4033. <laughs> okay. It's, it's a 200- $50 mic. It's a, okay. it's a condenser. It's not fancy. It's cardioid only. There's no multipolar patterns or anything like that. Um, it just, um, it's kind of referred to as the poor man's 414. Um, a 414 would be a great mic, but you know, it's pushing into somewhere between four and $700 range. So uh, depending on the capsule type. Okay, good. But yeah, lots of, lots of good advice there, especially the slate thing. That is sure. life changing. <laughs> it yeah. really is. Um, okay, investing in a studio for independent artists. How much will it cost to get the basics for recording songs, music? I we saw. I I didn't watch the whole thing, but I saw your uh, I saw your video uh, on the dude. Yeah. $3,400 I really enjoyed that. If you, if go, go to Joe's YouTube channel. Just, if you don't watch anything else, watch that one, man. It's awesome. His personality, you get a lot of information. It's awesome. Until <laughs> it gets taken down. We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know if Where it's to start? Where to start? It's such a hard well, he, question. He's already ask. given some great tips. Yeah, about he kind of answered that a lot. Right. Um, where to start is quite simply a quiet place, whether it's your closet, if you're going to be tracking vocals, just go into your closet. Your dresses and pants and jeans are going to be enough absorption <laughs> yeah. to get you a nice dry signal, you know, a good set of headphones for that. If you're a guitar player, bass player, uh, keyboard player, um, just have a nice guitar and, 
and 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 if you're going to have an amp mic it with a 57 or or use one of these you know software virtual things nowadays that really sound good um I, you know i th i think you can do it for a few hundred dollars yeah. i mean the days where you just have to record in a commercial space are gone um one of my favorite bands is the foo fighters and ah, they've too. they've done they've done several records now but they they did one recently i think it was a couple records ago and they wanted to bring in butch vig to to produce and engineer they didn't want a single track to touch a computer they used so they they used a two-inch machine but they literally just set up in dave Grohl's garage and just brought some gear in and mic'd it up and it's like you don't have to have a killer acoustic space it helps but it if makes you're your job vig, easier but yeah but you're butch vig you can figure out how to eq that sound <laughs> or you know, whatever mm -hmm. um but uh you just don't have to have this pristine perfect space what you what you do need to have is the ability to write a good song the the laptop or the desktop computer with some kind of a software to be able to capture that song and either mix it yourself or or maybe invest a little bit of money and send it to someone to mix it um and then at least that's a little bit more commercially viable when it's if you're going to put it on you know if you're going to use cd baby or whoever you're going to use to do that and i mean you guys obviously know all about that um but you know you want it to compete you know commercially as far as sonically and and all that so but i just think you just need a you know i'd say you need two mics because if you're let's say you're a guitar acoustic guitar singer well you need one mic for your voice but you really want to double mic the acoustic you want to have two um one on the body and and one closer to the fretboard and you want to pan those and do some stuff you know or if it's if it's a, a choir or something or a group of vocalists and you want to do a nice stereo spread you're gonna need two mics to do that so i would say buy two mics and at least a two channel interface sometimes two of the same microphones. mics what two of the same microphones yeah probably yeah. if you're gonna do stereo panning yeah yeah right I mean, it's so hard to generalize it. I know. It really no, I know. It depends on what somebody's doing. Yeah. Yeah, those are all great tips. I'm, uh, I'm, I know about all this, and I'm, I'm, I'm liking what you're saying. It's all good. Um, on the the last thing you were mentioning is if you're going to put it up somewhere, can you touch on mastering just a little bit? Your thoughts on that? And, yeah. Yeah. And I have a video. I have a video on that too. On oh, okay. Uh, all you need to know about mastering and what in that video i basically walk people through generalized tips of make sure that you focus on this make sure you're focusing on that um it if i had to say the most important thing about you mastering your own song is to not do it during the mix process mm -hmm. you've got your musician hat on when you're writing and recording and then you take that off and you put your editor hat on when you're tweaking and fading in and out and deleting and copying and pasting then you put your mixer hat on when you're mixing it then do the thing that you do you listen to it for a couple of days you listen in your car right everyone does it and then make sure you're happy with the mix and when you're happy with the mix 
which you're probably never going to be, but you have to be at some point. Then put on your mastering hat with fresh ears on a different day and do the EQ and the compression and the limiting uh, with fresh ears so that you're you're really just now not thinking about is the snare drum too loud is there enough reverb on my vocal but now you're thinking does this song sound good compared to these other songs that are on the radio mm -hmm. and so so first pointer would be do it on a separate day in a fresh clean session don't let it be part of your master busts when you're bouncing your your song mm -hmm. um two I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Are you trying to he stay? Was have a second point. I know. <laughs> I, well, no, I'm trying to stay neutral. I'm trying to. Oh. I don't want to throw anyone or anything under the bus, you know, because there's really not. I will. We we had a, we had a we had two records. We went to a mastering engineer. We weren't in the room. And I always want to be in the room, because yeah. mastering can make something better, and mastering yeah. can destroy something that was beautiful. And we right. went to this guy that She's was recommended to us. Yeah, with Take Two Productions, we had Master, two yes. And we weren't in the room because of circumstances. And he made one thing sound better. And the other one, in my opinion, he destroyed it. Yeah. We would need to get it remastered. That's the same engineer. And you just, if you're going to go to somebody, make sure you're in the room. Yeah. So that you can make sure they don't take it. Because mastering to me is, it's like, I, li I like the way you put that to compare like, not that you're not focused on the individual little things in the tracks, you're focused on the overall, oops, you yeah. focus on the overall thing. It's like the outside of your house, you know, you wanna know what the trim's gonna be, what the paint's gonna be, what the roof tile's gonna be, that then you gotta make sure it all matches and, and is even and, and looks Well, and you obviously can't put kitchen cabinets in without a foundation first, you know, but yeah, I mean, that's really the second point is to just A, B, a B other songs. So in genre near the same genre, uh, you know, near the same energy. So if you're doing a punk rock band, well then listen to some Green Day that was you know mixed by Chris Lord Algae and mastered by Bernie Grumman. You know, do that and and try to at least get the top end, the sizzle to be the same, the low mid punch to be the same. How much low end, you know, do you have a subwoofer? How's that hitting? And, and, and try to match that and the, the tone and the dynamics of that. And now you know that you're kind of not seeing through rose colored glasses because you have something to compare it to. Very right. good. Yeah, because getting yourself out of your own project that once you've heard it so many times, it's so hard. Yeah. So hard not yeah. to. If you can't be with the mastering engineer, at least make sure that there are free revisions and how many. Right. Yeah. You know, and I do that with all my mixed clients. Um, typically, there's there's revisions to you know, and it's kind of spelled out like, look, you're gonna get for this for this much money that you're paying me, you're gonna get you know up to three revisions. You know, so really listen. Tell me the things that you think are different. Sometimes um, I'm lucky and they love it and there's no revision. And sometimes it's right up to the third revision because they're just not quite sure what it is and, you know, and who knows why or what. But um, usually it has something to do with, with bottom end. <laughs> it, always, it always does. <laughs> getting, getting bottom end right is, is the hardest thing um, 
in mixing because it's those low it's those low frequencies that can build up in a room mm -hmm. and that can make your song sound different depending on where you're hearing it um and so that's that's one of the hardest things but yeah if you're going to have someone master it and you can't be there make sure that they can send you and you can then give notes back and then they can then send you a second revision and then you can give them some more notes and and i mean nice nice to know you do that thank you that's yeah. good yes <laughs> well, you have to nowadays you know i mean well yeah now is a different well this was 12 years ago you know where professional he was grammy winning engineers do it and why so why shouldn't i you know I, i'm not I'm not on that level, so why should I like be pompous and be like, oh, you don't like my mix? Well, screw you. You know, it's like, well, no, I, it's not my mix. I want, I want your song to sound like you. I want, I don't want to put my sonic thumbprint on it per se. Um, and I think that's a good thing. And I, I've argued with other engineers and mix engineers who, who who didn't like my portfolio because they said none of the songs sounded the same. And I created the portfolio on purpose to show diversity. That none of, that it's not you. Right. Right. That this <laughs> jazz song sounds jazzy and this rock song sounds like rock and this singer songwriter sounds smooth and pretty. And, hmm. and so, you know, I, well, you know, there's, there's a time that you might, I'm going to, I'm not going to say a name, but it's somebody that you mentioned within the last five minutes, um, was my husband and I got to go watch somebody mix. One of okay. the guys. We got to watch him mix because, <laughs> you know, he was mixing something my husband had recorded. So we bring the, you know, still, I think it was still, was it on two inch? I think it might've been on two inch. We bring the stuff in, we sit down in the back of the room and we watch as he, and he had to have a certain amount of, the drums had to be on specific channels. There could only be so many. That this had to, the guitars had to be on this channel. There could the vocals, et cetera, et cetera. He had a list he sent you before you could come get the mix done with him. And he goes in before ever. He's like, he, I think he might have asked one question. What is this? Like, you know, give me an idea of what this is like. And he went and started mixing. Hadn't heard it yet. He went and started mixing. He was halfway through mixing before he ever turned the tape on. Oh wow. Uh huh. And I was like, my husband and I were like, what the bloody hell, man. <laughs> He knew this is what I do. This right. is what my mixes sound like. This is why you're here. Yeah. This is this type of track. I'm going to do my thing. And he has a thing. Right. And he's got a lot of Grammys and he's very, very good at it. If you want that thing, you go right. to him. Right. If you want somebody who's going to listen to your expression. You know, my husband would, would sit down with the band before they ever came in the studio and say, tell me 10 of your uh, influences. And then yeah. he'd go to the UCD store and he would delve into it for a week before he ever recorded a track because yeah. he wanted to know who they were. So there's two different, you know, you can go yeah. to somebody if you're trying to capture what they do, but right. know which one you want and need. Right. Know which it's, one you want. Those and are need. two different styles. Right. And they're both right. fine, but if you're going to try to interpret for the band what, who they are, that's almost a harder skill, I think. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, it's like if you're a drummer and you go, oh, I don't play reggae, I only play rock. Well, shoot, you're not going to get this gig now because we need a reggae drummer tonight, you know. Right. <laughs> and, and Joe Marciano taught me that. He's like, play with as many people as you can. So I kind of use that same thing. I, I, 
I can mix a song that sounds like that engineer might have mixed it. Um, but I can also, I can also make it sound completely different. And, and I think, um, I think that's important, you know, when you're talking about sending your music out to someone is that they understand um, you, they understand the vibe you're going for and, and, you know, they just help kind of finish it and make it sound the best that it can. Um, I think a good engineer is always a co-producer, uh, even though they don't get credit for it, but it's like, I thought that this delay sounded good on this chorus line. And then I did this thing over here and, and then I muted it here and then unmuted it there. I mean, that's producing sort of, but really it's just an engineer going, this is my vibe. If you don't like it, you have a revision. I'll, I'll turn it back on and I'll, I'll yeah. kill the delay. But this is what I felt. Mm -hmm. And I think that you want an engineer to be that fifth musician to yep. say, this is what I felt. This is how it made me feel. And this was the art of my mix. Yeah, people think, I think a lot of people tend to think of engineers as technical people only, and they are artistic people. The good ones are artistic yeah. people. And you want, yeah. you know, you want to be able to be comfortable enough with your engineer um, that you are giving yourself the freedom to allow him to express his artistic abilities. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thank you for sharing your journey too, because a, a drummer in touring bands and popping in to do something when somebody else isn't happening and you know that those are all skills that you bring definitely to the table so um that really helps but yeah it's been uh, so go listen to joe's mastering <laughs> um uh video as well but i would say if you're listening to this and you're an up-and-comer and you want to know about things like this you definitely have to go subscribe go subscribe to this podcast definitely. yes podcast and the other one one of them that i liked was the recording levers the problem with virtual instruments and why your mixes suck um <laughs> i love that honest. i like that not popular yeah i think i think i'm gonna change the thumbnail on that one maybe it'll get more views oh okay yeah it's a very low view video yeah. it's because it's not exciting people don't want to know about recording levels they want to know about how their favorite band got that snare sound, you know? Mm. And yeah. it's like, uh, you know, it had sorry to, to break it to level. you, but it's a sample. That's why, that's why it sounds that good. <laughs> right. You know, here, here's the so, way file. Somebody from the nineties. Yeah. <laughs> had good recording levels, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is there anything else we're, we're coming in? I here? don't, I don't. Yeah. Sorry, anything else yeah. Joe, you want to get out there? I mean, you've got your own YouTube channel, so that's where he's going to be expressing all of this, his information that he's so, shared with yeah. the world, which is awesome. Just to be sure our audience knows what you do. You obviously we've found out some things you do consulting, mixing, mm -hmm. uh, mastering. mastering. Yes. Mm -hmm. All kinds of, uh, things that you do and they can find that on your website at sedotisound.com. Yep. Yes. I, um, I have, songs that i've mixed on there so you can listen to that variety of songs got but, a big right. variety on there yeah so on this on the music studio side um i do do recording but i don't have my i have a mix room that i built we built a custom home here mm -hmm. and so i built it specifically for my freelance mixing wow. um 
so I don't I don't track here, but I am a good tracking engineer. So recording, mixing, mastering, and and or producing as far as the studio goes. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to the live thing, there's simply from consulting, whether you're a church or a club or or some corporate space, I do um, consulting as well as system design. And I don't really personally do install anymore. There's there's a small group of people that if they asked me would I would I be willing to do an install for them, I would probably project manage it for them and get the people and I would do the design. But um, so there's a little bit of audio video lighting design and implementation. Um, and then I'd say the other thing is is really is just training. And that's kind of part of what the YouTube channel is for is it's my way of training people. And I really just, I want to do for other people what Joe Marciano did for me. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Joe Marciano and if it wasn't for Bob Moon and Mark Rodriguez. And they, they told me in person all these tips and tricks. And so I'm trying to be one of the voices on YouTube that you should listen to (laughs) and share that and pay it forward. So. That's, that's very nice of you to say about Joe. He's a good friend of mine. I just went on a trip with him and his wife and, and Chipo <laughs> to, to New oh York. Oh yeah, I know. It was in New York over New Year's Eve. With New Joe Year's Rose Eve. Oh, my gosh. I, I would do it again in a second. It was crazy. Don, if, I wish you were a writer because that would have been like, that's a half a book or maybe a I know. We were there a week. It was so fun. Anyway, I have to say Joe's been a friend of mine for a lot of years. I've been introduced to a lot of amazing people through Joe. My son, Chris, um, there's so many times he's doing something and he'll go, oh, Joe taught me that or showed that to me or he taught me to do clean my guitar this way, you know, those kinds of things. And so um, Joe's a lot of things. Generous is probably his best quality. It's very true. You mentioned how he let you use the drums. And so eventually we, we probably will have Joe on here because he's done so much in the industry as far as his studios that he's built and the people he's, he's mentored and had come through. And um, he doesn't know that as we always say, we haven't, told most people that will interview them, but um, he's a good one. And, you know, he works in schools now. He's an educator is what he is. Yeah. And, but a good mentor as well. So thank you for, for giving him those props. Cause I, I knew that you and him had a, had a, a good, um, you know, relationship from the time you were young. So. Oh, for me, he's definitely Papa Joe. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's very true. And he had, a, he had a big part in Sleeping Giant and Death Star, too. So, you know, just oh, yeah. a whole scene of music in those days. It's kind of cool. But anyway. There's a lot of people that, that he has influenced that when he sees someone who uh, shows talent, he, he pours water on them, you know, and he really, he really gives them the opportunity. If they're willing to step up and work hard, he gives them the opportunity to flourish and then he's he's like a proud papa when you leave the when you leave the nest and you go off and you do other stuff and and so you know he's yeah he's he's an amazing person for that and he's always he's always sharing his skills with people and and keeping people in love with music you know yeah it's very true why we're all here it is why we're all Mm -hmm. here and 
So no, we want to thank you for being here today on A Matter of Music, our podcast. We're, we're happy to subscribe to yours and get all of our listeners to just subscribe as well to Joe's. We're both starting out here, but we've all been in the business a long time and, and it's exciting to be, um, we feel the same, sharing our knowledge and um, going forward in this business. We've, Beth and I have had a lot of people pour into us as well. So, and that's why we're here. So um, please subscribe to our podcast if you can, if you liked this and enjoyed it. We've got a lot more interviews coming up. We also have, uh, we usually have a couple of uh, technical and, uh, you know, business oriented and then some interviews where we just grab all the information we can from somebody like Joe, who just gives us so much good advice that you all need. Right. I'm excited to put this up and tell people about it. What some of the tips we've got. Oh, and by the way, thank you. Circle circle slide. That was the choir record. Circle slide. Yes, that's it. Circle slide. (laughs) The name of the slide. That's the name of the album. Listen to that record slightly. Just it turn sounds off the lights so and good. listen to that record. Yeah. Choir. Yeah. The lawns, choir. Right? Fine. I don't drink. But have a glass the drums. Joe, were you in our reunion yeah. show in 2005? Did you get? Did you know about that one with them? No, no. I wasn't there. No. Okay. So they I missed the Jimmy Dean thing when he passed away. I missed that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that is Steve Hendelong. Um, and other people that will be coming on our show. We have no idea. All right. Thanks a lot, Joe, and have a good week. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to A Matter of Music. Please subscribe and uh, go to our website, amatterofmusic.com. Thank you, Joe.